Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gund. Today, I have another special guest, my mother, Rosemary Gund. Welcome, Mom. Thank you. Um, so I have a few questions for my mom today, uh, mainly about, you know, me growing up as an undiagnosed a neurodivergent child. Um, so my first question... Um, Mom, what were the main differences you could identify before my diagnosis came? Um, so, when you were a baby, um, like about, say, six months, I noticed that you would throw up your milk mm. a lot. You wouldn't sustain um, the formula. Um, so, we mentioned to the pediatrician and he kept changing your formula we thought there was some intolerance um, to some ingredient but I noticed that um, and I was a little bit concerned then I think that was the first time that um, I was a bit concerned and then um, some motor issues that you had that you took a long time to um, crawl uh, to learn how to crawl uh, you would roll, and mm-hmm. uh, it was really cute. And we mentioned to the pediatrician, he said, yeah, some some babies do that, so it's nothing to concern, to be concerned about. But then you were doing that until you were about two, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and not, you know, standing up to walk. And so yeah. we noticed that there was, like, motor difficulties. Yeah. We didn't think much of it except for something motor yeah. going on. And then later on, uh, speech development was also impaired. Yeah. So that, then we knew mm-hmm. there was some developmental yeah. issue going on. But we didn't, we didn't know what it was. I see. Yeah, I do remember a little bit about like the, the speech delays and... Uh, neuromotor function difficulties uh-huh. uh, seeing a lot of therapists um in my early childhood um how challenging was it early on especially to find the the right kind of support and accommodations um it was really chaotic at first because the doctor did not help us he was like a older old school pediatrician um he kept like denying there was something wrong even though we would um express our concerns so there was not like good communication with him uh so we start like asking around and the first person who helped us was a psychologist um i don't remember her specialty but she did some sort of evaluation and she referred us to a physical therapist. And the physical therapist had a lot of experience with children with developmental issues. So she helped us a lot, get in touch with other therapists. So you did occupational therapy for like fine motor skills. You did um, physical therapy. Um, and then finally, I think about when you were three, you started walking, but there was some balance issues. So sometimes you would collapse, you know, you would 
not it seems like that and that that made me worried because I was afraid that you would fall and bump your head so we were afraid to leave you alone in school in school so I would go there and spend um recess with you I see um yeah yeah so um, it was really difficult to find we didn't know what it was we knew you needed like um help you know um yeah att special attention but we didn't know we were in the dark I mean mm -hmm. um We suspected um, cerebral palsy, took you to a neurologist, you did CAT scans and, and all that, and they never found anything. Um, yeah, I remember like, I definitely remember to, like going to all the therapists and then I think that was, um, I remember like around the time I started school um i you know i think back to when i was four or five um i do remember i think it was like maybe one of the first days that um you you weren't there and dad wasn't there and i think i vaguely remember that some kid pulling down my pants oh yes. yeah yes. so that was an issue you were five and um Was it, I don't remember exactly, um, he asked you, no, apparently he pulled down your, your pants. Yeah, right? I think it was. And so they called me from school saying that you were exposing yourself. Yeah. You were only, what, five? Five, yeah. So yeah, it was very frustrating mm -hmm. working with schools, you know, like what kind of malicious intent or like, you know, a five-year-old, you know. So they called me to, um, I don't know why they called me to, it seemed like you were um, the one at fault there. Yeah, that's how. They didn't understand um, that um, you were an easy target. Mm -hmm. So apparently yeah. the boy was pulling you and he asked you to do something and you did to yeah. please him too, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was, um, that's the earliest memory I have of Great. bullying. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, it just shows how it goes, you know, like from an early age, how um, neurodivergent people are more susceptible to bullying. Um, yeah, it was horrible, actually. Yeah. It was horrible, mm -hmm. you know, like, the, the, there were people who helped us, but the schools were not... We had yeah. to rely on individual, um, you know, like teachers or like people who were um, kind yeah. and mm -hmm. willing to get out of the way to help. But schools, the direction, and they were not, you know, it was really hard to, um, they wouldn't like willingly accommodate you. Like yeah. some private schools didn't mm -hmm. even, if we mentioned there was, there's some developmental issues they didn't want to take you you know mm, wow yeah uh, no we cannot handle this no we cannot make special accommodations so yeah. i was shocked because i was told that here in the u.s things were so much more developed and ahead uh, regarding um inclusiveness mm -hmm. 
And my experience was not at all yeah. like that, you know, um, at all. I don't know how it is now. I think it's changing a little bit, but I mean, there's still, it depends on where you are probably. And I think there's still a lot of schools that, you know. It's a lot of prejudice. Yeah. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was not pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that experience, and then I remember, um, a few years later, um, when I was at another school, and, uh, I made friends with, um, my friend Lisa, um, that, that you know as well, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly glad that I had that friendship with her, because, um, Mm. it, uh, and, and then later I came to find out that she was also autistic. She's mm-hmm. diagnosed and like after I was. Um, and so then it kind of became like, oh, no wonder we got along so well. And it was hard to get along with the other kids. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, even talking to her, I think, you know, her experiences as well. Um, I think it was maybe even sometimes harder for her because she was a girl as well and um she even said that sometimes the teachers would be a little bit nicer to me than to her even though they weren't really nice to both of us in general you mean male teachers or teachers the teachers in general but there was even this one female teacher that we had i won't name her um but she was um at least from Lisa's perspective, she said that it felt, and I remember a little bit of this too, that she was a little more accommodating and more understanding, um, towards me, um, like a little bit, but, but towards Lisa, she was very dismissive and like Mm. telling her that she had to stop stimming and that, you know, she was being problematic and yeah, but we were like in touch with the school all the time. We were always, mm-hmm. you know, calling and asking, uh, asking them to pay more attention to you and uh, asking them to make accommodations. So we were a bit, yeah, um, we were more aggressive mm-hmm. maybe uh, as parents. And I don't know. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was weird. The whole. Um, school thing um and yeah and then so I remember that continuing um you know we moved to Brazil shortly after that and Mm -hmm. it was also really challenging there with the schools um getting yeah getting accommodations and stuff yes Um, well you know they say once you like start looking for schools and you go to interviews they say they will accommodate they say oh don't worry we'll do everything you can to welcome george and you know mm-hmm. make sure he gets what he needs but you know and in like middle school it was okay i think the problem was high school high school was high school, very much yeah um the kids tend to be more Mm-hmm. cruel and yeah and it was just the kind of culture at the school teenagers. that I was too um, um the kind of what the culture at that school yeah it was an elite school yeah mm-hmm. yes so uh, a lot of entitled um 
rich yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone wanted to be lawyers and administrators. Well, and that's fine, like but they were also bullies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had very powerful um, relatives and mm-hmm. parents. And yeah. They felt like they could do whatever they wanted and get away mm-hmm. with it, which is many times what happens in Brazil, right? When you, mm-hmm. you have influence and power, who cares? And it was a private school. That's the problem. It was a private school, so... I got the impression that um, the directors and the school was always afraid to lose students. Um, So they did not, like when you were bullied that time, they did not take action because these Mm -hmm. girls who bullied you were were daughters of Mm -hmm. very, very important people. Mm -hmm. And it seemed, I got the impression that they were afraid to confront them. Yeah, I think so too, for sure. Um, and then, so it's interesting because it was around that time, I think right after then maybe, that I had that bullying experience in the high school that I did get my diagnosis. Um, yes. So, yeah, um, tell me a little bit about like how the process was like getting... Find you know getting me to 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 get that diagnosis like getting the right finding the right um because I remember I had a lot of therapists there as well that helped with the recommendations. Yes, so. you had therapists who helped. Um, a couple of years before, your dad read somewhere about the symptoms of Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah, he did mention that too, and he showed it to me. Um, and he said, maybe um, we should investigate this diagnosis. Yeah. I think I mentioned that. And I think your therapist there, you had a psychologist, two psychologists, right? One that helped you with school and one where you had private sessions once a week. And I think one of them said that why, I think both of them actually, said that why do you need a diagnosis? You know, why is that important? That's not going to change, you know, what we, the work we need to do. You know, why label him? Uh, You don't need a label. Um, So they didn't really Mm -hmm. think that um, we needed one. And I said that it would would maybe be helpful Mm -hmm. to um, show that to schools and to, you know, whatever you needed, wherever you went, to... um, maybe um enforce like rights and accommodations yeah exactly and i think understanding like why i would have certain behaviors or like for example with like sensory processing and stuff like that but they saw it differently they Mm -hmm. thought it would single you out um you would like even um reinforce the fact that you were different Mm -hmm. and when we wanted you to be i mean ideally in you know in a perfect world, in a perfect yeah, world. that would be, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. that would happen, but it, it, it's not like that. It's not, yeah, and that's why, I think that's why the diagnosis can be so important because of the way the society is structured. And But I think maybe we were not lucky with the school, you know, with the mm-hmm. school, Lorenzo Castell. Yeah, it was also. Because mm-hmm. um, they were horrible, mm-hmm. and... I hear good things about uh, Santi, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the other school that it would even be more convenient for us. But I went along with the recommendation from the neurologist. They said, mm-hmm. this is a wonderful school. I know people there, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that was a bad decision on my part, you know? Um, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like, I don't think any of us knew at the time how it was going to be. Yeah. Um yeah and and it's uh it's interesting because um my dad brought up on the episode with him he also talked about when he read that article about Asperger's and um you know uh brought it up with you because I remember it was it was talking about this guy that had an obsession with trains um and uh you know I was always very interested in like trains and um elevators and buses and and things like that um so it was interesting to to see that link um but then I know that you know um you you then went to you know uh try to make all the connections with you know try to uh talking with my therapists and everything you were able to get me uh a diagnosis from the neurologist. Right, right, right. And yeah. then they finally mm-hmm. uh, referred us to a psychiatrist who, you know, apparently um, specialized in this kind of diagnosis. And, yeah. Um, and he gave you the... He was in between two diagnoses, actually. He thought it's either Asperger's, Asperger's or non... Non-learning, non-verbal, non-verbal learning, learning disability. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and now yeah. we got the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and I think that was a relief, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think for you it actually immediately made a difference. I think for me, it didn't for me, it took a while just because I didn't understand a lot about it, and I was just kind of confused at first, and um. I didn't know like how much I wanted to research about it and I also think that there wasn't as much information as mm-hmm. there is today and like from from this neurodivergent neurodiversity perspective it still wasn't um it's I interesting could, yeah. <laughs> even though the neurodiversity movement started in the 90s it wasn't um really uh easy to come across like you had to do a lot of deep digging it wasn't as available as it is now to anyone even to a lot of um and even to this day to a lot of uh, the medical community and the psyche um psychology community a lot of people still don't don't have the neurodiversity perspective um Hmm. well you were a teenager and as a Mm -hmm. teenager you wanted to fit in you know so I think Mm -hmm. that there was a bit of um, denial at first which is I think it's normal Um, but then you know it maybe things change as you mature yeah I think as I matured and then I started like just things started becoming more clear and then like I was making the connections to the diagnosis and then I think um it was also like when I started um 
building more relationships as I started, you know, getting more involved in things that were that I had a strong passion for and, and meeting other people with similar interests. And then eventually, I think when it really, um, what really helped is when I started uh, um, interacting with other neurodivergent folks, um, initially mostly online. And then I'd been finding out that the acting school that I went to has... Yeah. Yeah. several other neurodivergent people um mostly with ADHD but there is a big overlap in between um autism and ADHD traits um so it's been really really cool to um discover you know all these other neurodivergent people with the same interests and then talking a lot about neurodiversity with them and their experiences and relating a lot to them as well um, and then even with my friend Lisa, who I've known, we've both known for a long time, but she's only known that she's autistic for a few years. Um, so yeah, um, to uh, one of my last questions, uh, what have you learned? What would you say you've learned like throughout this whole journey? One of the things. What have I learned? Um... Um, I think that, um, there was also on our part, or at least I can say for myself as a parent, um, to make you, to protect you from everything, to protect you from experiences, to, um, um, make you be the same, you know, like, mm -hmm. spec you. To have the same reactions and, and and that would be would make you more lovable by everyone. And now I think that I understand that it's 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 not like that. You don't have to raise your child like that. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's uh important for other parents to hear as well. And I mean of course everyone It's not easy though. It's not, it's not easy, easy because but, yeah. uh, you want to mm -hmm. there is like this dilemma you want to protect your child, you don't want them to be singled out and bullied and at the same time assert their individuality um and support that. I think I was like at least when you were little I, w I was just struggling to make you uh fit in. Um and, you know, I thought that acceptance would come from being the same as everyone, or, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a lesson, but it's not easy for, you know, it's yeah. not easy. No, it's not easy. And I think it, it is a way it does highlight how, um, you know, because of the society, like it, how much work uh, parents of neurodivergent kids have to do to advocate for their child to get their needs met. I think it's more about how other parents of known not neurodivergent yeah, yeah uh, because children there's raise their children mm -hmm. to to yeah. um, accept and welcome and be kind and yeah you know because which makes it harder for the parents of the neurodivergent on a superficial kids. level mm -hmm. everyone you know agrees and, and I, mm -hmm. you know parents are always most parents teach oh no be kind well but um when things happen, like the bullying situation you had when you were five, yeah, you mm -hmm. know, there was none of that. 
you know, nobody wanted to hear. Yeah. This is a child who, you know, mm-hmm. has some different, you know, behavior. Mm-hmm. He was in a particular situation of stress or, you know. Um, yeah. And then they don't care. Yeah. That's, that was my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very unfortunate because it um, puts just uh, all the burden of, of this on the family of the neurodivergent child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The message is make your child behave as expected or, you know, we're not going to yeah. we're not going to have your child here at a school. Yeah. which was not like mm-hmm. expressed that way, but um that's, you know, you can read between the lines. It's mm-hmm. it's there, you know. Yeah. It's 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 yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. Well, um yeah, I mean the I think hopefully, you know, it is starting to change and uh, hopefully, you know, with all the more resources that we have nowadays and, you know, podcasts like these and many others um, will slowly change things. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. Well, thank you um, once again for coming on. this was really great. I know I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for a while because I had my sister Luana and then my dad recently. So now now I've had you on as well. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to having maybe even more family in the future. Um, thanks again. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. And You're I'll welcome. see you next time. Bye.